Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat, we're going to consider how working from home has changed the expectations of employees and the roles of managers, plus the data that supports these assertions. My guest this time is Brian Kropp, Group Vice President and Chief of HR Research at Gartner Research Inc. Brian heads up all business activities that support the Human Resources Division and its leadership teams. He works with Gartner Research Leadership to develop strategic plans that attract, develop and retain top talent. He has authored dozens of articles at Gartner Research, led hundreds of strategy sessions with executive teams from Fortune 100 companies, and directed 300 plus executive education sessions across the globe. Brian is a frequent contributor to CNN, The Economist, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, and other top business and media publications. Not the HR Gazette yet, but I'm sure I could persuade him if he enjoys today's interview. In 2020, Brian was voted one of the top 100 HR technology influencers. He received his undergraduate and master's degree from Clemson University and his doctorate from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Brian, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. Let's focus straight away here on the key theme of of today's interview, and that's that's around working from home and, and what that means for for employees. But we're gonna we're gonna take a retrospective over the last year, and we're also gonna um, ask you at some point to get your crystal ball out from under your table and tell us a bit about what you're expecting over the course of the following year. Now, you're quoted as explaining that data that that we got now collected in 2019 indicated that about 10% of employees at that time actually worked full-time from home. Another 20% worked from home at least some of the time. However, the COVID-19 outbreak meant that almost 100% of employees, of course, uh, could only work from home. Um, how, is, how has the mindset of leaders towards remote working changed as a result of COVID? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When you think back to 2019 and before, uh, and you were to talk to CFOs or CEOs, they really viewed remote working as a, a privilege to give to employees. So some employees got that special benefit as a way to keep them engaged or some other factor. But for the most part, they didn't look favorably on it. Uh, and employees thought it was a special perk, a special benefit I could get by working from home. And those viewpoints have dramatically changed across the last year. What CFOs and CEOs have started to realize is that You can run a company and maintain performance and actually save a lot of money by having a much more remote workforce. And employees uh, have shifted their viewpoint on it from uh, being a privilege or a special benefit you get in a lot of ways as well to an expectation that going forward, every employee should have the ability or the right to work from home at least some of the time. So the viewpoints on this have dramatically shifted where, you know, privilege perk to a valuable business uh, strategy and expectation, a real shift in terms of what that perception looks like. You said with regards to future trends, the, the data that we recently collected from HR execs, business leaders, CFOs, and heads of uh, real estate indicate that working from home will increase from 10% that we found in 2019 to around 20%. And another 28% will work from home part of the time and about half of the workforce will work in traditional office environments. So, so that is the way that we see the future shift uh, in, in the work from home trend 
post COVID-19. Now I've spoken to suggested that the percentage of remote workers, Brian, will, will actually be much higher post COVID than those numbers. Tell me about how you collected your data and why your data suggests that this seemingly fairly low number is about right. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, the number is going to increase from pre-COVID to post-COVID. It's really just a question of how much. Uh, and even with all of the technology that we've got, even with all of the new capabilities from a video perspective, new technology platforms that are being put in place to enable connections and communications between uh, employees, it misses out on uh, a variety of things. Uh, the first one, no matter how good the technology is right now and will be across the next handful of years, collaboration in a virtual platform is much harder and much less effective than it is in person. There's that kind of nature of in-person being with people uh, that works better from a collaboration perspective. So jobs, roles, those sorts of things from a collaboration perspective are really important uh, to do in-person. So that's gonna maintain as a largely in-person activity. So that's kind of one reason why we're gonna see people coming back to the office. Um, second thing, and we hear this from a lot of companies is there's huge concerns about building, maintaining a culture and the culture that they want if it's all virtual. Now, we've learned how to build a, a culture in a much more virtual environment, but one of the things that we've seen that's really interesting is that when the whole teams went virtual, they were largely able to maintain the culture that they had. However, as some people started to leave that team, they quit their job, went to another company, new people joined, et cetera, the culture started to break down a little bit. And as the people on the team started to change, it was harder and harder to maintain that culture. So that's a second reason why we're going to see people coming back uh, to the workplace to some degree. Uh, third, uh, and this is the one that most people miss, is that work by its nature uh, is an inherently social and emotional activity. We spend so much time thinking about just the activity of work, the tasks that I do. And the reality is, uh, in the modern workplace, a lot of those tasks can be done remotely. Because in the past, you came to the office because that's where your, your typewriter was, or that's where uh, the, the, the data was that you needed to access, or some other thing like that. The tools and data and information that you need to do your job can be done remotely. But the social connections, the emotional connections, can't be replicated remotely. So uh, think about the times you'd go and get coffee with a coworker, you'd get lunch with a coworker, you'd go to happy hour with a coworker, you would celebrate birthdays with the people that you work with, uh, you would talk about your weekend, all of those sorts of things. In a virtual environment, replicating those social and emotional interactions is quite difficult, if not impossible. Uh, and that social part of it is a really, really important component of work. And a lot of people wanna come back to the workplace because that's where their friends are. That's where those emotional connections are. And so for all of those reasons, we're gonna see people coming back to the workplace and doing work from the workplace. Some other factors that are out there, it's also a good way, place to connect with customers. It's a good place to connect with people in your community and so on. But this idea that we're all gonna to move to a virtual world we're all going to be working virtually and the office is going to be dead. Uh, that's not going to happen, we don't believe. There's going to be a lot fewer people going to the office. It's going to be much more hybrid. 
but there are good reasons uh, to come back to the office in some cases. There'll just be fewer, fewer people less often, but we will still see people coming back to the office place. Okay, so what I'm hearing there uh, in terms of the, the you're talking about the, the the social interactions, the social activity, the connections that you make. So you're you're saying that the main reason that folk will invariably come back to the office, even if it's you know two or three days out of five each week, is, is because of that social aspect. It's it's not really because the bosses want to keep an eye on their employees. No, not nearly as much. Um, managers have learned across the last. Uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 months, that there's other ways to track employees, which does raise this other interesting question about how we're actually tracking the performance of our employees and, and monitoring our employees and those sorts of things. But one of the, the biggest things that's being impacted by the shift to remote work and all the technology that's putting in place uh, is actually what the job of your manager looks like. And that that is fundamentally changing in many ways more so than the job of an individual employee. Uh, and looking at how a manager is going to have to manage differently uh, is a fundamental issue that that companies are going to have to wrestle with as we move to this more remote hybrid world that we're all going to be living in. Yeah, and we're going to get to that later, actually, because uh, mm-hmm. from some of the pieces I've read uh, from you recently, you, you, you've got very strong positions on on this. And, that, and I mm-hmm. agree with a lot of what you're saying, but we won't we won't get there yet. We're just going to tease our listeners. Stay with us, listeners. <laughs> and we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Now, so far, we have talking, we've spoken a little bit about uh, collaboration and maintaining a culture as indicators of productivity, but they're perhaps not the same thing as productivity. So I'd, I'd like to talk to you a little mm-hmm. bit about about the loss of productivity as, as a result of working from home. I'm hearing that, as a general rule, employees are just as productive at home as they are in the office. Is that really the case? I'm playing devil's advocate, of course. How, how are firms measuring this? And you, you just started talking about that then. And um, what, what do your findings suggest? Yeah, um, we've looked at this from a variety of different measures and different ways of looking at this. And generally speaking, uh, employees for most jobs can be just as productive working from home as they have as they are in the office, uh, with some exceptions. So, like if you're a scientist in a lab, obviously you can't. Uh, so you take away those types of jobs, but all of the other jobs out of there, all of the traditional knowledge worker types of jobs, uh, and it's just as productive. So a couple of things that we've looked at where you can get to really specific productivity measures. So you look at sales employees. Uh, and what we're finding when you look at the performance of sales employees who have stopped traveling, working from home, uh, that the the amount of sales that they're generating is basically just about the same. Uh, some cases a tiny bit higher, some cases a tiny bit lower, but more or less just about the same. We've looked at call center employees and looking at the a number of calls they can do in a certain period of time, the quality of those calls based on customer feedback. And what we find is that call center employees who are working from home uh, are just as productive as they were before. We've looked at people like in the insurance industry that are claims adjusters uh, and claims processors, uh, that when you look at the number of claims that they can process, the error rate that's associated with those claims, no difference in terms of performance between coming into an office and working from home. So you look at all of those dimensions on that the amount of performance or productivity in jobs where you can easily measure it, we don't see any significant difference there. When you also look at feedback from managers evaluating employees, 
what we find is that there's no difference there either. And we went back and looked at some data that we collected from 2018 and 2019 and compared employees who are working remote versus those in the office. They got on average the same score from their managers. So you look at it from all those different dimensions and it's effectively the same. But there is one thing that companies really need to be paying attention to when it comes to remote employees, which is not their performance, but their turnover risk. What we do find is that employees who are working remote are at a higher risk of quitting. And that gets back to the issue about kind of the social and emotional connections. They're just not as strong. So it's easier for them to uh, quit their job if you don't have friends at the job. So what you're really going to have to pay attention to as we move into this hybrid world, increased remote world, and as labor markets eventually improve is not the performance question, but the retention question. And what are you doing to retain those employees who are working remote or hybrid? That's really the big issue that you should be paying attention to. You brought up something uh, which is pretty important. That's when the market does does recover. We're not there yet, of course. I mean, people are being hired again. Firms are hiring again en masse, which is fantastic, but it's still going to take a while. So is, is this, is this when it comes to retention, when it comes to turnover, is this a concern for managers, say, towards the end of 2021? I, yeah, because there's two parts to the, the quitting question. There's when do I decide to quit and when do I actually quit? Um, and what our research has shown is that people decide to quit at a different time period when they actually quit. So uh, uh, you might decide to quit and then wait for your bonus to pay out. You might decide to quit and it takes a while to find another job. Uh, so while people probably won't actually quit until the labor market gets better to your point, and that'll be back half of 21, maybe into 2022, you know, we have to see how these things play out, but they're making the decisions now on whether or not your company is the place where they want to have a longer career. So you can't ignore the problem now in hopes of just catching up later, because if you're trying to catch up later, they've already decided to quit. They just haven't done it yet. Uh, and that's where this turnover question is really important. The, the decisions you're making now about building these emotional relationships, about trying to maintain those social connections, are, and th those decisions are happening when they're deciding what they want to do with their career, not when they actually make that decision come to life. And separating those two things is actually really important as you're thinking about your talent strategy. Okay, now I want to talk to you a bit about resilience and about rules. Okay, mm -hmm. one important thing that the pandemic has taught us is that the most that, that most employees are, are highly resilient, even in some of the most unexpected situations. However, their resilience has been challenged by by an attempt to follow up with with all rules and systems and adhere to processes that companies put in place to ensure that there are high efficiency levels. Now, I, I get that rules are needed, Brian, but, but should, uh, should organizations maybe focus more on, on the, those that support their employees and their culture and, and their workplace instead of just sticking to rules for the sake of sticking for, for rule, to rules? And what are, what are the benefits and risks of, of being too regimented when it comes to, well, you know, our rule book says, our, our HR playbook says you've got to perform like this when actually when you're working from home, things are pretty different. You know, it's funny, at the start of the pandemic, the big concern that, that most companies had was, oh my gosh, with this shift to remote work, with everything that's happening, our employees are just gonna fall apart and the whole company's gonna collapse. Uh, and what we've actually learned is, to your point, that employees are amazingly resilient. Human beings are amazingly resilient and find a way to get through. 
one of the realities of how they found a way to get through is that uh, employees broke a bunch of rules for very good reasons. Um, uh, and they changed how they worked. Uh, for, again, for very good reasons, because, you know, if you had kids that you were homeschooling, if you had uh, parents that you're concerned about their health, all sorts of craziness was going on. So you had no choice but to break the rules. And one of the biggest lessons that I think we're going to take away from uh, the entire pandemic experience is that the best companies create process suggestions, not process demands. And they're able to coach saying, like, here's how we found are some of the best ways to do something. But if you've got a better way to do it, then that's fine. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, a company that we were working with, um, uh, an insurance company, uh, uh, they do uh, claims processing for one of their business units. And what they originally did was they moved their entire uh, workforce remote. They had to do all their calls remote. They had to log into the system at 8.30 in the morning and at 5.30 in the afternoon, and that was that. And what they started to see is that employees just naturally started to change when they're working because of their own situations. And one of the most fascinating things coming out of that is that as employees started to shift the time of when they worked, some started working really early in the morning, some started working much later at night, all sorts of changes there. You know, some would work two hours on, take a break for two hours, work for two hours, et cetera. And what they found is that as employees started to change when they were working, they actually were able to process more claims with a lower error rate. Their productivity improved on any dimension as soon as they started taking away some of the rules and processes around time and when you were supposed to do stuff. And so what companies need to look at is there's a set of rules that you need to have in place because there's legal qualifications for it. Uh, there's uh, ethical things to think about, whatever it might be. You, you got to keep those. But a lot of the rules and processes that were put in place were designed to manage against the, the bottom 10 or 15% of performers. They were rules and processes put in place to, to manage that bottom end of the distribution, not to enable freedom and flexibility for the best performers. And as you're thinking about what you want to do in the space going forward, the first thing you should be asking yourself is, are my employees achieving their outcomes? If they are, then it's probably okay to pull back a lot on the processes and rules and have a much more output-based approach. If they're not, then you can take a step back and look at the rules and processes they put in place to see if those are working. But we're gonna be shifting from how people get work done to did people get their work done? And that's a very different way to think about management, leadership, uh, performance, productivity, all those different measures. But that's the shift we're having to go through. Which is going to create a very interesting situation, I think, when folk do go back to their offices and they'll be like, hey, hang on a minute, for the last 12 or 18 months, I've been given so much freedom. And now you're trying mm -hmm. to impose and to impose the traditional rule book on me. But that, that maybe that's a follow up conversation you and I can have in, in the future. Um, one, one other area that I'd, I'd like to delve into you a bit more with is, is around um, security related issues. So. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a big concern from from corporations, certainly in certain sectors, that um, there are potential security breaches for for, for allowing employers to, to work from home. In, from what you've seen, from what you've read, from what from the research that you guys have done, are there any security issues related to working from home, and how can companies minimize those risks? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
there, there's all sorts of uh, uh, security issues that are potentially out there. Uh, initially, at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of security issues around um, uh, just access. Uh, do people, uh, do they have enough Wi-Fi capability in their house, enough bandwidth, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, but what's also been happening is that uh, employees, uh, especially younger employees, they have other people who live with them. Uh, they become much looser about leaving their laptop open. There's those sorts of security issues. So we tended to think about technology and security issues as uh, uh, protecting the data that we had on our laptops in terms of how it was transmitting over the internet to get from point A to point B. We were largely good there. Uh, but the bigger issues in terms of uh, security are going to be about how people are working. If, they're work if there's a lot more people working in um, cafes or at home and they've got uh, flatmates with them or whatever it might be, managing the, the behaviors of, of employees in a much more remote world is very different than simply managing the technology that's there. And, and it's important to think about both. But as we move into this world where there's just radical flexibility about where people are working, when people are working, we've got to focus on the technology and ensuring security of the technology, but also ensuring the security of the behaviors of the people in our company to make sure they're doing it the right way, because that is actually going to be a bigger risk than uh, uh, the technology risk that's there. Okay, so let's let's carry that forward then, Brian, and, and talk a bit about mm -hmm. some of those behaviors and how to manage some of those behaviors and, and the evolving role of managers in the 2020s. Now, um, I, I've read pieces where you've said that uh, you believe that the role of the manager will shift from measuring and monitoring the performance of their employees and tracking the work of their employees to to being much more of a connector for their employees, mm -hmm. and 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 that's in the in the realms of you know socially and emotionally and um and, and being that person that can help to further their careers, which I love. I think that's fantastic. I I, I think there's also a trend at the moment, of course, uh, where more and more senior HR folk, particularly in Larger organisations have a data background, but there's always a, there's always or often now um, a um, another person who, t who takes on more of a say people officer role, which I yeah. I think is a is, is a great thing. Why do you think that trend will continue? Why is that so important? Yeah, so there, there's a variety of things that are all coming together at once. Um, one, if you look at a lot of the activities that a manager traditionally engages in, and you look at the rate of automation that's occurring. As best as we can figure, when you look at all of the different activities that a manager historically is engaged in, so think about uh, scheduling time for when employees are working, approving expense reports, things like that. Uh, a lot of those activities can be automated, and there's new technology that's coming out that will effectively automate all of that. So one thing that's going on is a lot of the tasks that managers used to engage in is being automated away. Uh, second. Uh, one of the other big things that's happened across the last 12 months is that companies have bought new technology to track and monitor their remote employees. So this is technology that does everything from tracks when you uh, log in and log off of whatever system you've got. It tracks the keystrokes to see how fast you're typing. Uh, there's other systems that will take a picture of you with your camera on your laptop every you know, 30 seconds to track your facial expressions all sorts of stuff. Some of that seems really creepy for sure, but uh, what all of those things come together are doing 
is building a way for us to better understand what's going on with our employees. And eventually all of that data will turn into knowledge. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're moving in that direction. So a lot of the tasks are being automated. A lot of the monitoring, uh, are people working responsibilities that managers used to have are being replaced with technology. The relationship between employees and employers is changing. As we've worked through the pandemic, there's a lot of things that have happened. We started to, to better understand the real lives of our employees, about the challenges they're facing, about uh, what the personal situation is like. Uh, managers and HR has been, have been forced into supporting employees to a much greater degree with their health, with their finances, with uh, managing their kids, all of those sorts of things. And you look at all of those trends that, that are occurring and, and what has been accelerated because of COVID, what it gets you to is managers are no longer going to need to do some of the things that they did before. And employees want a different set of things out of their manager. So the manager's job is going to become less, let me track and make sure uh, you're working, uh, to let me help you have a successful life and successful career. And that involves better understanding what you need as an employee, uh, connecting you with the right people inside the organization or outside when it comes to your career and learning opportunities, uh, helping you solve your personal uh, situations that might be occurring, uh, and so on. And from that perspective, the manager is going to look a lot more like a therapist or social worker uh, or a connector and less like a dictator that they have in the past. And that is, in my opinion at least, a really nice shift in terms of creating a much more humane way that people can work and a much more humane relationship between employees and companies and managers and employees. And ironically, it's technology that is helping create that more humane relationship um, by freeing up managers to, to focus on other things that are frankly more important than what managers have been working on in a lot of ways in the past. I'm torn on that one. Brian, I've got to say, um, I, I love the fact that um, technology will enable managers to be, you know, more people centric and to be to be more to act more and say a mentorship role and all the rest of it. Personally, I'm not super keen on technologies that that take pictures of you every thirty seconds, <laughs> for example. But let's move on. This is not about me. This is about you. So let, let, let's move on. <laughs> um, let, let's talk a little bit about the skills needed to perform roles in, in the longer term. Yeah. Now then, uh, Gartner's recent comprehensive analysis of the evolution of job posting showed that the number of skills required on a resume has increased by by almost 40% in the last five years. Mm -hmm. um, with that crystal ball that you, you've got in front of you, um, um, maybe you can, you can explain that surprisingly around half of those skills are, are, are no longer found in, in a job description. And how does that decrease our ability to predict which skills will be in demand in the next oh, five to 10 years? Yeah, you know, uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you and completely transparent. Anybody who says they know exactly what skill sets people are gonna need a couple years from now uh, is probably trying to sell you a product that can help build those skill sets um, because nobody knows. And what this analysis shows that we've done is our ability collectively as a research community as a society, whatever it might be, to predict exactly what skills and what tech, technological skills are going to be the most important, you know, five years from now, it's almost impossible. And what a lot of companies are doing and the mistake that they're making is actually trying to predict what that future looks like. Um, you know, it, it's funny, you think back, uh, you know, five, six years ago, 
and you think about like R or Python or, or anything like that, no one was talking about those things five years ago. And now from a data analytic perspective, that's arguably some of the most important skills to have. It's just things that didn't even exist. So what you have to do as an HR executive now is not try to predict the future because uh, it is incredibly difficult. I, I mean, who, uh, find me a person somewhere in the world in you know, January of 2019 was saying, we're gonna to have to massively improve the, the, the skill set of our employees in terms of working remote. No, nobody was saying that because nobody saw the pandemic coming. Um, and and no, nobody within HR really saw the pandemic coming, I should say, and really appreciated what sort of massive change it would have. So this idea of being able to predict the future just seems all but impossible. Instead, what you have to do is um, uh, constantly monitor the labor market and evolve with the labor market, evolve with how the world of skills is changing. And what that means is rather than having a five-year development program to build new skills, is that you have to understand all the skills adjacencies within your organization and say, oh, uh, this is the new thing we need to build. What is close to it that we can adjust? Who are the people that are close to having that skill? They've got a cousin of that skill, if you will, that we could evolve them quickly because it's gonna be about rapid evolvement of existing skills and relying on skills adjacencies to get that thing that's close and to move quickly and constantly tracking it. But this idea that we can effectively predict five years from now, what skills we're gonna need, uh, companies that pursue that as a strategy might get lucky for sure, but what's the more likely outcome is that they invest a lot of money in building skill sets in their workforce that they actually don't need five years from now. And they've wasted an enormous amount of money trying to build a capability that's not needed. It's just too hard to predict now. So you have to, you have to move with the ball rather than try to predict where the ball is going to be. Brian, we are coming towards the end of this interview already. Can you believe it? I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, but uh, the, these shows are supposed to be a certain uh, time frame. So uh, we've got to wrap up. Before we do so, though, sir, uh, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about all the awesome things that you get up to over at Gartner? Yeah, so the best ways to do it, feel free to reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, or if you want to get a sense of the, some of the latest and greatest research that's coming out from Gartner, if you go to smarterwithgartner.com, so it's smarterwithgartner.com. That has uh, a lot of uh, the best of research that we've got coming out on an ongoing basis. And it's a good way to, to stay up to date with um, what we're producing as a company. Awesome. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm totally going to hound you for a follow-up interview later this year. Um, so brace yourself for that, sir. I think we're connected on LinkedIn <laughs> now. Um, but for now, that just leads me to say, Brian, thank you so much for joining me on, as a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you so much for having me and looking forward to connecting again. I'll take that as a yes, listeners. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, until next time, as always, happy working and please do continue to stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.